Thank you for joining us today as we continue in our story. A three-part series, and we're in the middle. As we continue to tell the story and talk about the story that Jesus told, the most famous story that Jesus ever told, probably. Story about a, a son who made some really dumb choices and his ticked-off older brother. And over all of it, in all of it, through all of it, you've got a father whose heart of love is so powerfully displayed. In fact, the heart of the father is the point of the whole story, as we saw last week. In fact, Jesus told three stories back to back to back. And this third story just drives home the point that the heart of the father it's what Jesus was driving at. So if you missed last week, go back to our website, go to our app, and catch up on that so that you have the full picture and the context of what we're journeying through together. And I am so honored to be here in Oak Ridge at our Oak Ridge location. So for those of you that are online and for everybody in Kernsville, you notice something different today. I am here in Oak Ridge, get to be with some people I don't get to be with a lot. Oh, and by the way, Kernsville, people in Kville, if you... um. If you have some time or you can work it into your weekend schedule, you totally ought to come check out our Oak Ridge location sometime. If you haven't experienced the summit from this location, especially since we opened the, the new facility here, you totally ought to do that because being one church, you will find the environment here so familiar, and you'll get to meet some awesome people. So, so great to be with you guys. So yeah, we're in week two of the good and the bad and the ugly. And last week we started with the good, the Father, and talked about the heart of the Father. And today we will talk about the bad. This young son made some really stupid decisions. And, but again, the heart of the Father is so clearly displayed in his response and hopefully in all of this, you'll be able to find yourself. Identify with some character in the story, and, and may we all leave having learned and being challenged. So let's dive right in to more details of the story, thinking about that younger son who, hmm, he was bad, didn't make some great decisions. Here we go. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Two things here. First of all, by him saying, I want my inheritance now before you die, you and I hardly have the ability in the 21st century to understand what a big deal this was. In the first century, this was more than just an odd request. This was insulting. This was the ultimate disrespect because what the son was actually saying to the father, and everything was about inheritance back then, everything was about what you leave your kids, that's just how the culture operated from family to family to generation to generation. And so when the younger son looked at the dad and he said, I want, I, I want what, what I'm going to get when you die, I want it now. Essentially, he was saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. All right, you know what? You're, let's just say you're dead. You're dead to me. The ultimate disrespect and why the dad, secondly, agreed to give him, I, I don't know. Let me tell you what, this father ain't doing it, right? 
wait around, I'll be dead soon enough, kind of thing. But yeah, he, he not only divided up the inheritance and gave it to his younger son, he also did the same thing for his older son. So he gave both boys what they would get after he died. So unheard of generosity here. Again, Jesus' audience is the Pharisees. People who were very upset that, that Jesus was spending time with people they didn't think he should spend time with, the lowlifes of society, the screw-ups of society, the people of ill repute, the, you know, the people who were notorious sinners, as we saw last week. And so when Jesus gets to this part of the story and the dad divides his inheritance up between two sons before he's dead, immediately the Pharisees are going, ah, that's odd, that's weird, that's an interesting wrinkle in the story because that just don't happen. Watch what happens next. So a few days later, the younger son takes his inheritance, packed up all his belongings, and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Yeah. Packed up all his belongings because he was going somewhere to stay for a while. This was not a temporary vacation. This was not spring break. This was not, I'm going to study abroad. This was not, yeah, I'm going on a sightseeing tour. This was him saying, I'm going to reject home. I'm rejecting everything dad raised us with and everything dad gave us. It's a rejection of everything he knew and everything his family held dear. He was turning his back on his family and going to do what he wanted to do. I don't know. Maybe he felt like he was missing out. I don't know. Maybe he had a point to prove. Who knows what motivated him to do it? But he was just gone, selfishly going to do his own thing. He went way far away and wasted it all in wild living. Now, you and I, again, in our culture, just fill in the blanks in what wild is. But don't think, oh, what did he do? How wild could wild be in the first century? What did he do? eat a barbecue sandwich or something? Because he's Jewish, and that would be pork. That's how I entertain myself. Yeah, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. No, no, fill in the blanks with you. I mean, that, that he did some bad stuff. Thus, he's the bad in the story. Wasted it all in wild living until a famine hit. Hmm. He had nothing to show for it. In fact, this this story is often called the story of the, and here's an interesting word, prodigal son. A word you and I don't use in our culture much. Uh, prodigal son, the word prodigal means wastefully extravagant. I mean, it wasn't just extravagant. It was extravagant to excess. Negligent. Extravagant waste. Wastefully extravagant. Blew it all. A famine hits. He has nothing. Can't even take care of himself. He begins to starve. He goes to work for a farmer feeding pigs. And again, being a Jewish boy, it doesn't get worse, much worse than this. I mean, this is like rated R kind of stories that the Pharisees are listening to Jesus tell. They're like, well, I, don't, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. I mean, this is awful. And he's feeding. You're not even supposed to touch pigs. And he's feeding them. And oh, gosh. Yeah, he lost everything. His money, his health, his honor. He lost his self-respect, he lost his reputation, and he ended up empty. He ended up humiliated and defeated. I wonder, side note here, 
if you've done something in your life that's left you feeling the same, empty, humiliated, defeated, maybe because of what you did or said and other people know it, maybe it's something you've done and nobody knows it yet, but when you look in the mirror, you feel empty, humiliated, defeated. Or maybe there's somebody in your life, this is important, we'll come back to this, somebody in your life who you know because of what they've done feels empty, humiliated, and defeated. This son had lost everything, but watch. When he finally came to his senses, finally, he said to himself, you know, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. They got three meals, three square meals a day, you know. And here I am, the son, had everything, lost it all, and I'm dying of hunger. Can't even imagine. This is rock bottom. This is what, this is what happens. Nothing like rock bottom to make you come to your senses. And so he's playing this out in his mind, his scenarios. You know, we do things like this, right? Maybe I should just, maybe I should just, I'd probably be better off if I just, and he said, I'll just, man, I, even the people that work for our estate have it better off than me. And I'm a son. He said, so I'll go home to father. I'll, I'll go home to dad. And I will say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. He's coming up with a plan. Maybe this will work. Maybe I could do this. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So just take me on as a hired servant. So that's what he did. He returned home to his father. I mean, this is low. This is really low. He said, I don't, man, I, I, I don't have right, any right to expect dad to reinstate me to anything. So I'll just, I'll just ask dad to hire me on and work for the estate. At least I'll have food. Hmm. So he's rehearsing this in his head, rehearsing this in his brain, you know, and maybe he's saying it out loud. I'm not sure, but, he, but you can see, you can see the heart of repentance here a little bit here. Yeah, some remorse. This kind of thinking through, oh, I've done it now. I realize what I've done and I have nothing to show for what my dad gave me. I've wasted it all. I have hit the rock bottom it reminds me, on you know, a more personal note, this whole story, and especially this part, reminds me of something that happened in our own family. So I'm just going to pause right there to let you think the worst. What happened? Oh, this is going to be good. No, it's a story about my youngest daughter, Maggie, when she was five. So how bad could it be, right? She was five, just barely five, and we had gotten a brand new puppy. Little Yorkie poo. So the puppy was about that long, like big as a minute. And Maggie, full of life. Oh, man, she's just a party on legs. Lots of energy all over the place. You know, bouncing blonde curls. And oh, it's just so fun. Just remember those days. And we told Maggie, now listen, don't pick up lady. Don't pick up lady and hold the puppy without mom and daddy in the room, okay? We'll let you hold her in your lap and stuff, because we knew it was light, you know? She's going to pick him up and carry him around and drop and break the dog. She's going to break the puppy, because he's just this long kind of thing, right? So Maggie, you clear? Clear. Got it. Maggie's downstairs playing with the lady. A couple days later, me and Donna are upstairs, and all of a sudden we heard... I've been practicing that all week. Yeah. And so we fly downstairs, and we walk into the room, and Maggie's just standing there. And he said, Maggie, did you pick up Lady 
and drop her? She said, no. And then almost immediately, because the kid could not lie, she always out in herself. She said, yes, yes, I did. And she ran upstairs into her bedroom and shut the door. Now, the dog's fine, by the way. The dog was fine. The dog's passed a long time ago, but the dog was fine. You know, he's limping around kind of thing. But Donna picks the dog up, and, you know, and so me and Donna walk upstairs. And as we're walking down the hallway, evidently Maggie heard us coming down the hallway and through her shut bedroom door, we heard something I never thought I'd ever hear one of my children say, much less a five-year-old. She says, don't come in here. I don't deserve to be in this family anymore. Because <laughs> we had girls, you know, it's drama. Everything's <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything, right? For, it's just. And so Donna starts cracking up, and she looked at me, and she said, you got this one. And so she went and tended to the dog. And so here, you know, here we go. Yeah. So this is what that made me think of. Much, much more serious, right? Much more serious. I don't deserve, I don't deserve to be a son. So, so he decided to go home. The young son decided to go home with a plan and a rehearsed speech. And this next part is what we talked about last week. These next few uh, verses are what we saw last week. So we're, we're going to go through this kind of quickly, and we see how the father responded to this son who had done some really, really bad things, but now was deciding to come home. And while he, the young son, was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And like we pointed out last week, what this implies is that dad was looking. He was searching. He was longing. He was hoping. Maybe today's today. Maybe this morning's the morning. Maybe this afternoon. Maybe this evening before the sun goes down, I'll see him cresting over the horizon, coming down the dirt road. And there he was. And dad ran to him. Filled with love, compassion. It's like the dad was distracted by the absence of his son, and everything was tainted and filtered through that. So, this emotional greeting was something perhaps the dad had been envisioning and hoping for and longing for for a very, very long time. So the dad runs down the road and embraces his son. And so immediately the son launches right into the rehearsed speech that he had worked on. He said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And probably right about the point is he got ready to get to the just hire me on as a servant in your estate kind of thing. Watch what dad does. His father said to the servants, quick. It's almost like dad just interrupted him, like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, that, that's great, but you're back, quick. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him because he's lost everything. He's gotten rid of everything. He's half naked. He's just wearing tattered rags. Get a ring for his finger, the family ring, to let him know he belongs. And sandals for his feet because he's barefooted. His feet are torn up and kill the calf that we've been fattening. Why? Because we're going to celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now it's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The party began. Now, this is what we saw last week, but I want to point out a, a, a different wrinkle here that we didn't dive into last week. It has everything to do with the son. Notice that the dad did not even let his son finish his confession. 
Because that wasn't the point. That wasn't what the father was wanting to focus on. We'll get there. Just but let me set it up like this. The dad wasn't. All right, let me hear what you have to say, son. This better be good. Better be good. No, 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 no like, you know, son, we're going to give this 30 days. We're going to do a 30-day trial. And we're going to see if you really mean it. None of the, um, well, you're going to have to prove yourself, and I, I, I want to see if you've changed. You know what? We're going we're gonna to let you stay at our property that's um, way, way off on the other side of the estate. We're going to, you know, you can come back, but, you know, with some conditions, and we're going to keep you over there until we know you mean business and that you can be trusted again. You say, well, what does that mean? Mm, I'm not really sure. But it's noteworthy that this is how great the love of the Father was that God has for us and that we're supposed to have for one another. Here's what this tells me. Now listen very carefully. That the Father was focusing less on what was done and lost and more on what and who was found. Because a lot had been done and a lot had been lost and when Junior comes up over the hill and Dad meets him, they could have had a long conversation about what was done and what was lost. And maybe at some point after the party, after the celebration had subsided and life got back to normal, maybe a few days later, no doubt a few days later, at some point, Dad and his young son took a walk, had a talk, sat on the back porch and debriefed what had happened, and how to move forward together. But all of that came in time. What the focus was, was compassion and celebration on what was found. More specifically, who was found. Not what was done, not what was lost. Human nature for me and human nature for you is to focus on what was done and what was lost. I can't believe you and how dare you and wait a second, not so fast. You did this, you did this, you never did this, you took this from me, you took that from me and maybe that's where your mind goes. Two things. One, you have people in your life, maybe you have people in your family, maybe a child even or a, a spouse or an ex-spouse or a friend or somebody you work with and they've taken something from you and they've hurt you and they've caused pain. They've robbed you of, you fill in the blank. And all you can seem to focus on on what was done and what was lost. What was done and what was lost. Understandably, because you've been through a lot of pain. That's our human default setting. And there's a time and a place to be honest and talk about what was done and what was said and what was caused and what not and, and talk about all those things. There's a time and a place for that, but that cannot be our primary focus. And that's where our focus almost always goes. Not so fast. Don't you remember what you did and what was lost? You see, the heart of the Father was focused on compassion and celebration, so he was focused so much more on not what was done and what was lost, but the fact that my boy is back. My boy is home. We'll figure all that other stuff out. Yeah, it'll be messy. We'll talk through all of it. We'll work through all of it. We'll heal through all of it. But the important thing is that you're home. You're back. You've returned. 
And right now we're just going to celebrate. Hmm. I wouldn't celebrate until we had some stuff understood. You see, that's why people often don't celebrate. Rarely will everything be worked out perfectly so that now we can move to the celebration. There's a time and a place for all of that. But the focus, the focus is on what and who was found. Again, can you imagine <laughs> Jesus' audience, the Pharisees? I mean, their heads were blowing off their shoulders right about now. What? I mean, this guy did what? He's working for pigs. He's feeding pigs. What? What? He's coming back. What? Oh, yeah, finally he's going to get his. What? The dad received him? The dad celebrating? They're throwing a party? They killed the fattened calf? What? This is, this is awful. This is the worst story I've ever heard. They were offended. Hmm. See, Jesus challenged everything. Jesus challenged everything they thought they knew. Jesus turned everything upside down when he came to town with his new way and a new command and a new covenant. And it's exactly what the Pharisees needed and what we still need today. Okay, so there, there's that part of the story, the young son. In the last few minutes we have together, I, I want you to process with me, okay? I'm going to give you a couple of words to consider, and I think every single one of us should be able to identify with at least one of these words, if not both of them, but at least one. And so I'll break it down for you. And again, according to what we've been talking about this whole time, we hope that you find yourself in this story, something you can attach your own personal experiences to. Let's say you identify with the younger brother at this point. Let's say, let's say you, when you look in the mirror, you know, You've messed up. you screwed up. Maybe you've made some very unwise choices. And maybe you are at the point when you're beginning to come to your senses. Well, to you, I give you a word to listen to and to kind of absorb. It's the word return. Because that's exactly what you need to do. If you can identify with the younger son, you need to simply return. You need to come back home. Come back to the Father. Come to your senses. Understand that it's time to come back. Unwise choices, yes. Stupid decisions, yes. Wander away. Do your own thing, yes. You've done all those things. Maybe things that people know, perhaps people don't even know yet. But you know, you need to know that you can return. You said, you don't know what I've been guilty of, man. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nobody's too bad. Nobody's too far gone. And nobody's been gone too long. No one. No one. A return is always possible. A return is always possible for you. No matter what you're guilty of. Now, the son, he had no idea what was getting ready to happen when he came home. That's why he had this plan. But at least he, at least he thought. At least he thought enough of dad to understand that he can come back. That he didn't know what it was going to be like, and he had no idea the reception he was going to receive. And that's why he had a plan. Had a plan. I'll just hire me on. I'll work for the estate. I'll work for it. You could just pay me with three meals a day kind of thing. And I, yeah, I've, I've sinned away. I've sinned away sonship. I've sinned away all my rights. I've given all that up. So at least he had... 
in his mind that he can come back. He can come home, so that's why he came home. I say that because I think a lot of people don't return, and maybe you are not returning because they don't know, and maybe you didn't know until now that you can return. Maybe they don't know. Maybe people don't know. Maybe no one's told them. And maybe the reason they don't know they can return or they think it's not an option for them is because of the way people have treated them who call themselves Christians. Maybe how the church has treated them who represents God. Maybe they want to return. They would like to come back, but they're thinking, wait a second, if God is anything like his kids, then I don't have a shot. I can't come back to God because I can't connect with them. They won't even talk to me. They, they won't have a relationship with me. We can't even connect as human beings. So if God is anything like that, I'm toast. I'm going to burn. There's no hope for me. Hey, parents, don't you know that sometimes you want to be able to put some distance between you and your kids? You ever had that experience? Well, you, you want to say, um, that's not me. They didn't get that from me. I'm not like that. Right? You ever done that? Okay, maybe, I, I have. And I have great kids. But, but I have. And, and maybe you're like, no, never have. Okay, your child's six months old. Give us some time. Give us some time. Give us some time. It'll, it'll happen. You'll have a moment where you're just like, I don't know who that kid is. I think my sister's kid. Yeah. I wonder if God looks at us from time to time and says, oh, no, okay, don't, don't, look, at, don't look at him. That's not me. That's not me. Don't listen to her. The way she's talking to you right now is not the way I want to talk to you. It's not my voice. Their voice is not my voice. Don't, don't assume. Don't assume that I'm like that. I, I wonder if God has to do that with us. And imagine how much better it would be if we would just reflect the heart of the Father for people who need to return. Hey, listen. Return. Anybody can return. You're welcome back, regardless of maybe how the church has represented God or maybe how some other Christian has represented the Father. The heart of the Father is a heart of compassion and celebration. You can return. Will there be consequences? Yeah, absolutely. That's just natural. There's always consequences to our choices. He lost his inheritance. There's no indication that he got it back. No indication that everything that he wasted was given back to him, but that's, that wasn't the focal point. The focal point was not on what was lost and what was done, but who and what was found. So if you can identify at all with this younger son, return. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're like, no, that's not me. That's not me. Maybe one day it will be, and at one time maybe, but no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't made a bunch of unwise decisions. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not, that's just not me in the story. Okay, fine. And I think for a lot of you, that really won't be your point of identification. So I have a word for you. Because th this word is how we respond with the heart of the Father to everyone who's returning, and that is the word receive. If you're like the younger son right now, you need to return. If you're not, you just need to stand beside the father and join him in receiving all of those who need to return. This is very important. This is why Jesus was telling this story. He was helping the Pharisees understand what God was like and saying, listen, if you're going to hang out with me, if you're going to follow God, then you're going to need to have a heart like this where we receive those who are returning. Regardless of what they've done, we have the heart of the Father and we receive out of love 
and grace. In discussions about this series and about this message specifically with some of the staff, and, and we, we talk a lot about this kind of stuff, and I, I bring other people into this process as much as I can because there's no way it, with as much as, as I teach and talk that I can come up with everything on my own. I don't try to. So we're having this conversation with one of our staff members, um, Christy Bickford, our director of creative arts. She had a great observation. And it was so great, I was like, I am not going to take credit for this. This is, this is brilliant. This is great. She said, at the end, what strikes me as fascinating is that the story of this prodigal son, this wastefully extravagant behavior of his, was really not the focus. At the end of the story, what you find is that the focal point is the wastefully extravagant love of the Father. Isn't that great? That God's love is wastefully extravagant in a positive way, especially when you're on the receiving end of it. And all of us have been recipients of God, wastefully extravagant love. Remember I told you last week, don't try to rationalize the love of God. Don't try, because it won't fit into an outline. It will not fit into logical A plus B equals C kind of stuff. You're constantly going to be scratching your head and saying, God forgave them. God forgave them. God received them. God received, wait, God, God will forgive me? Do you know what I've done? Do you know? Yes, yes, and yes. The wastefully extravagant love of God. So I think so many times you and I just need to understand that we can't even handle the truth of God's grace. It is so great. We can't handle the truth of God's love and grace to us and to other people. So just join God in receiving people. Hey, let me ask you this. Who do you need to receive? Who is returning that you need to receive? Or who needs to return that you need to receive in your life? And who would return if they knew you, much less God, would receive them. And maybe they're not returning because they don't know. Or perhaps you've misrepresented God. And they're just assuming, well, they're a Christian. And it's my mom, it's my dad, it's my brother and my sister. And they go to church and they serve and they give and they're really connected. So if they're, I guess, if God is anything like them, I'm, I'm sunk. I don't have a chance. And so maybe people walk away from God and never return because they don't have any idea that it's possible because of the way you've treated them, because of the way we've treated them. Okay, you need to receive those who are needing to return and respond to them in such a way so that they know they can, that they know they're welcome. I get, I, I get it. I get it. I understand. There's all kinds of issues, and there's the consequences, and then there's accountability, and then there's all this stuff, and boundaries, and all this stuff that needs to be talked through. I get all that. That all has a place. That all has a time. That all has a part. But I just know this, that we're to display the heart of the Father to people. And instead of trying to rationalize the heart of the Father, we just need to display the heart of the Father. And we just basically need to look up at Dad and go, okay, okay. We're welcoming you back because this is what dad said do. This is what dad does. This is what we do. 
This is what me and dad does. This is what our family does. This is what our family is like. This is what God is like. Yeah, yeah, it's messy. Yeah, I got all kinds of questions, and yeah, I'm fighting through some pain with this, and I'm disappointed, and yeah, I'm a little frustrated, and yeah, I wonder how this is going to work out. Yeah, I got, I got all those questions too. But let's start with this. Come back. Come home. And let's journey together. Let's heal together. Let's receive grace and love together. Who do you need to receive? Who needs to return? Say, well, they, they, they haven't returned. Well, maybe they will when they know you're ready to receive. And maybe you just need to let them know. Send an email. Shoot them a text. Have a quick conversation. Just say, listen, I know you're going through a lot. I know you have a lot of questions and a lot of pain, and I don't even pretend to know all the things going on in your life and in your head, but you just need to know when you're ready, I'm ready. When you're ready to have a conversation, I'm ready to have a conversation. When you're ready to take a step back in this direction, I'll meet you halfway. Let's do this. Return. Receive. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this. I need this. I am so quick by my human nature and even my personality to, to get laser locked in and focused on what was done and what was lost. What was done and what was lost. It's my default setting. I confess that. So Father, help me to lay that aside and focus on the return. Who needs to return? Who wants to return? Who would return if they knew they could return? Help me to focus more on what and who is found or in the process of coming home. And Father, may I never treat people and may we never treat people in such a way that they assume they can't come back to you because they're getting a cold shoulder from us. Father, forgive us for misrepresenting your heart to the world around us. And may we be people and in our own families and in our own communities and in our culture as a church of brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, may we create an environment where there's a whole lot of returning and a whole lot of receiving. And that's just the way it is all the time. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it creates all kinds of questions. And yes, we got a lot of work through together and talk through together and we'll figure it out together. But that is your heart for us and your heart for others through us. In Jesus' name, amen.